Feel free to grab a seat at this time. And uh, happy Sunday. Anyone get rained on on the way in here this morning? No? no just, <laughs> just one person. That's good. Man, uh, you, you need the rain. You need the fall season. And it's good to be celebrating God together. Hey, uh, we, we started a, a 40-week journey here at Lake Point Church a couple weeks back. And I know some of you are thinking, like, this guy going to recap where we've been every single one of these 40 weeks? I'm happy to let you know, no. I, I, sh- I sure hope not. But at least early on here, I want to make sure that before this vehicle really picks up speed, that we don't have anyone, like, hanging on the back bumper uh, try, trying to get a grip of what this is about. So let me repeat where we've been the last two weeks prior. Um, we, we talked about this being a journey where each of us gets so thoroughly into our own discipleship with Jesus that we'd be able to reach and make one disciple with Jesus just naturally out of that. And so week one, we talked about your dare. Your dare is to join God's dream for the world, that you are not just a recipient of the great salvation that we have by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You are also part of the plan, his plan of extending that salvation to someone else who needs it. That was your dare. Last week, Mac talked about your one. Give us that reflection at the end of like, who is that one person? Like, if this whole journey is just to extend Jesus into this one other person's life, can you listen and hear from God who that one person would be? If we went from your dare to your one, to this week we talk about your many. Your church, who's along your way, your community, to support you as you go. I'm going to give you a quick little story uh, that goes back to when the light bulb first went on for me of really what a church is uh, and, and, and meant to be. It goes all the way back to my college days. I had the privilege of, of growing up in one church, pretty much born and raised in this one church. My parents were there my whole childhood, and it was a big church. It was awesome, and I think it's one of the biggest churches in, in Wisconsin. But then I enroll in the University of Wisconsin Platteville, which is not a very big city, so the churches aren't going to be very big either, and I'm going to be on my second church ever in, in my lifetime. And uh, walk into that church, you know, they do the songs, they do the talking, and then they like, hey, turn, turn and greet someone you don't know. You know, we used to do that too before COVID-19, if any of you remember that. It's, it's kind of nice to meet someone at your church. And uh, so we did that that Sunday, which was normal to me. Which was abnormal to me was to come back the second week and have the person who I shook hands with the first week remember my name and a little bit about the story, the class I was enrolled in, or whatever I happened to talk about. Okay, growing up, like there were so many people in this church that I was lucky if I was sitting in a row where I would recognize one human being from week to week, let alone have an ongoing conversation with them. So this is like brand new. Like church could be like this. I come back the third week and the guy still keeps building on that, that story. The fourth week, we get to know each other better. And I know about him and his family and so on and so forth. Fifth week, sixth week, we get to like midterms and then a care package comes back because like, College students need caffeine and snacks, apparently, and bakery when, whenever midterms come around. And they just kind of like loved on me, and I got to love them as, as they were. And I just thought, man, this is kind of nice. Nice. But in four, the four years that followed, I've learned that that version of church, of knowing other people and having them know you, it, it's not nice. It's necessary. You see, if 
knowing other people, having them in other disciples of Jesus in your life, along the way of being a disciple of Jesus. If it's just nice, then why on earth, when Jesus calls individuals to come follow me, why does he turn that individual call into a come join the 12? Or the 72? Or the, the 120 in the upper room? Why the plurality there? Why does Jesus always send people out in pairs? He never just sends them out alone. He sends them into the plurality of pairs. Why does Paul and Barnabas, Mark and Timothy, whenever they're on the move to plant a new church, why are they doing it in twos and, and fours? Why is most of the New Testament written in the gatherings of, of, of the plural believers in a city? You know, the original Greek word for, for church is ecclesia, which literally translates gathering. So as you open up your scriptures and you, and you read, it's like, to the gathering of disciples in Ephesus, write this. To the gathering of, of disciples in Corinth, write that. And then on and on it goes. The instructions so often happen in the plural form. Like it reads, prayer for one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Agree with one another. Serve one another. Be patient and bearing with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Submit to one another. Teach and admonish one another and a whole lot of other one another's that I didn't bother and copy, to copy and paste for you. You get the point? There's a plurality going on here in how God is growing with people. You remember the Lord's Prayer? How, how many of you grew up knowing uh, what, what the Lord's Prayer is? It's one of those things. Yeah, a lot of us learned that early on. Uh, even if you didn't necessarily grow up in the church, you heard it. I'm going to test you now. What's the first word? Our. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, teach us how to pray. And the starting assumption is that if you're about to talk to God, and if you're about to seek him out on something, that obviously there's going to be other people there with you. That's how we framed the whole thing out. You'll be hard-pressed to find spiritual formation in the Bible that doesn't both presume and proscribe togetherness as part of it. Biblical discipleship is a plural discipleship. So back at that church in Platteville, that light bulb started to go on. It's not just about taking in the sermon. It's not just about singing praises to God. It's not about going home with a personal bit of application here. This church place is intended to be my safe place. A, a place where you just get to be you. Unjudged. No pretense. You can be as broken as you are and as needy as you need to be because someone there is going to get to know you and want to respond to you with the things of Jesus just as you are, where discipleship is going to take place because someone's around you, you're going to receive the salvation of Jesus better by being around others. And as that four years went by, and we're going to share some more stories as we go, experience how that changes the way I'm a disciple maker, that I got to start extending that salvation of Jesus to others far better because there was a church that I was together with. My story is that church is not a nicety. It's a necessity along the way in growing whatever Jesus has for you. So what we're talking about today is what it means for you to get the most out of this thing called Lake Point Church. And if Lake Point Church isn't your home and you're going to call another church home, great. Just take all that and go there. But 
Don't keep going this alone. Your church is for you. Your church is your many, our community, along the way in this journey. Jesus, I'm going to pray to you again that you'd be with us this morning, that we'd have your will and your ways show up in our lives, that you'd expand our our vision of what you're doing amongst us, and that we'd also receive it as you keep pouring your spirit in our direction. Like, no matter how stubborn we are or confused we are or how many other things we got going, don't give up on us. We, we want what you have for us individually and also together. So use this morning to get us a little further. We pray, amen. So I'm going to give you a little more background to this. It kind of, kind of helps to get, get the whole landscape of the scene that you're, you're, you're trying to find yourself in. Um, the, the whole of our scriptures are, are cast uh, in the framework of one God and one people. That, that, that was his framework for everything. Where What we experience in our faith, really, uh, was the foundation was laid in, in, in the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. Uh, as Judaism played out both in the Torah as well as throughout history, it was dialed in on, on one ethnic identity and one geographic focus one history, a, a monocentric custom and tradition. The promises to Abraham started out as, I'm going to make you one nation. That, that was the plan. And, and as the as laws of Moses unfold, these are laws that one nation are specifically supposed to follow. That, that was the plan. There's one God out there, which was very revolutionary. Like People assume, like, hey, there's a sun God, there's a grass God, there's a, there, 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 there's a wind and a, and a cheesehead God. Like, there's a God for everything, right? But along comes the one true God and says, it's just me, and I'm going to set aside one people that will represent me. They are going to get to know me so well. Okay? And as you read your Old Testament, uh, if you take the time, it's, uh, there's some interesting stuff in there. I think one thing that would strike most of us as odd is the exclusivity that, it, that, that, that plays out with. Uh, the stories of conquest, the rigidity of non-intermarriage, the capital punishment when you, when you, when you broke from the hard, set, fast uh, laws that, that Moses had handed to the people. I, that's going to kick up a lot of questions for you, and I ain't going to be able to satisfy your, your answers in that regard today. But, but know this, it was all aimed back at setting aside this one people, putting them in a bubble for a time, almost like if you could picture an incubator, like until they grew up and got healthy enough, they, God just sheltered them from everyone else in their no, exclusive knowledge of this one God as one people. Now, the, the shift that's coming down the pipeline here that the Pharisees of Jesus' day really, really failed to catch on to is that other part to the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapters 12. Yes, you are going to be one nation, you are going to be one people, but you are going to bless all the other nations out of this. So like when, the, when you don't need the incubator anymore, you're all going to grow up and you're going to be the ones out of your knowledge of God who are going to spread out and tell other people who this one God really is. And that broke forward with Jesus. The Messiah came. It's not just about learning him through the law anymore. Jesus fulfilled the law. And, and so now this is truly open to all people. The one people that used to be Israel is now still going on today. The one people that is the church. It's still one God. It's still one people. It's just gotten bigger to include, include people like 
You and I, and instead of using the exclusive rigidity of the Old Testament and the incubator that God set up, now as a church family, we are ever-inclusive, extending our knowledge of the one God to the world around us. God's plan is still going. But coming together as a people, as a one people, is how that one God gets represented. It goes further with Jesus. Here's how he dials it. And we already talked about how Paul put all those one another's out there in, in front of us. It's interesting to see that unity was really tops for Jesus. Yeah, I, I put it be below faith and love. He, he put those at the tippity top, but really tops up there is, is unity as well. After praying for the 12 disciples who were most specifically in front of him during, during that time, um, Jesus expands that to his prayer for all disciples of all time. This is a prayer he uses to include you and I, John 17. My prayer is not for them alone, the 12. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and I. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may may they also be in us so that the world will believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Okay, so there's a lot going on there. Let's, let's go back to the top. Let's go back to verse 21. Jesus prays that we be one. Not, not that we'd be individual, not that we'd be lone rangers, that, that, that people would come together in their belief of, of who he was. And he expands that to just, just lower up just how rich of a picture of that unity is to be. Is like, hey, Father, just like, like I'm in you, you're in me, like, may they also be in, in us. The picture of the Trinity is a picture of the unity we're supposed to have. Yes, there is a distinction in identity, but there's also this inseparability of it. Like, like one's not going to move without the other. That's his picture of the church. And then he brings us in, into who he is. For Father, like, through me, may they be in you, and it's all together. Like, there, there's a whole lot of unity going on in this prayer from Jesus. His picture was that lofty for our lives. And towards one of the ends, verse 24, that then... Then the world would know Jesus. Then the world would know that Jesus is the real deal. Then the world would know that Jesus is from God. Then they'll know that they are loved by God. How on earth is the rest of the world going to experience this great salvation and love that God has for them, that the sent one to fulfill the law is in fact Jesus? How are they going to know that? It's when you and I are one. It's when we come together. And practice all those one another's that we talked about. It, it goes from the Father <clears throat> to the Son, to the church, which is individual disciples collected together in unity. And just out of the unity of the Father and Son, Jesus was sent. So in the, out of the unity in the church that we are sent into the world to make more disciples. The church becomes the touch point. The church becomes the hands and feet of Jesus. In case you haven't realized yet, it is really hard to reach out and touch God right now or to see him visibly or to hear his voice audibly. It just doesn't work that way. But people can see you and me 
They can hear us together. They can feel the impact of someone's life. And as Jesus is in us, when we're united with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that way, and we're united with each other, then all of a sudden the rest of the world gets to see who Jesus is. So many places in the Bible I'd love to show you, if I had time. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, one body of many parts. We come together and we reflect the, the, the body of Jesus. Um, I can't get into it at depth, but I, I'll just say it like, like this. When you, when you look at it, like it doesn't matter how individually gifted, talented, special, mature you are in your faith. You can be like the best Christian in the whole world and on your own. You're still like a bad biology experiment in high school. Y'all, y'all remember that frog in high school? Come on now, tell me if you remember the frog. Yeah, okay, little pieces of them all over the place, pins labeling what this is, and it was kind of interesting. You, you could see it for what it was, but man, it was deader than dead. For it to have any life and have any breath, you had to keep the body together. That's what we're saying. It looks kind of scary. When it's all separated apart together, there's a life and a movement to us. And that's the light bulb that really started going on for me back in my college days in Platinum. I'll tell you a little more of what that was about. Because it was more than swapping names and catching up on stories from week to week. It went much further than that. Um, I was on fire for Jesus in college. I actually still think I'm just as on fire for Jesus. My heart for him has not gotten any smaller. I think it's gotten bigger. I just gotten a lot more refined since then. Like I was, I was the kind of kid where you sat down at the cafeteria tray, got to meet me, you know, and then I'll ask you, okay, so where are you at with Jesus? Because you got to know him too, and so I'll tell you something you need to know about him. I was putting posters all around my dorm about this Bible study I was running in my dorm room on a Tuesday night, and you just got to ask yourself, like, you're at college, everyone's in class, 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 study, 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 like, and I had a super serious study I was ready to give everyone. You, how, how warm and inviting does that sound? That's important. It's part of it. But me, in and of my overly serious self, was not reflecting a complete and compelling picture of Jesus. I would get so far with my friends in helping introduce who Jesus was, and then I'd run into a roadblock and it would, it would stop. Until Pete became a follower of Jesus. All right, Pete, Pete was one of those wingmates on, uh, on my dorm. Eventually, he became my roommate. Pete, uh, even though we go back to the beginning, it was, it was sophomore year that, that he first believed in, in Jesus and started following him. Uh, Pete uh, was, was a friend who had, had crooked glasses all the time. At one point, one of the arms of his glass got so crooked that it broke off, and he's like, sweet! I can just like lay on my pillow and watch TV at the same time right now. And he just... Left it that way for, for, for weeks. He was that friend who had that wild class clown kind of look in, in his eyes. You know, just, just because Pete walked in the room, you're like, oh man, like someone just told a joke uh, right, right away. It's, it's going to be funny. He'd wear, as often as the laundry would allow him, a, a sweatshirt that, that declared, not only am I perfect, I'm Polish. In bright Polish Red, this sweatshirt was two sizes too small for Pete. And so like his like navel was like gaping out all the time. Pete had like a little tiny little pouch of a belly here. And whenever he wore the Polish shirt, like the, the little belly like flapped out. And this is like, like, a, like, like a bad swimsuit picture, right? 
And the reason I think of it like this way is because Pete actually did wear swimsuits most day to class. Either he liked the fabric itself or he's saving himself time on laundry because he got those mesh linings and don't actually have to wear underwear if you got swim trunks on. And on and on this goes with Pete. Like, is anyone in college right now or about to be in college? No? All right, man. Pete could give you so many tips on, 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 on survival. He'd wear flip-flops too so he didn't have to do the socks. That was my buddy Pete. And now Pete found Jesus and is following Jesus his way. And Brian, little overly zealous, overly serious, Brian is following Jesus his way. Do you, do you think it was the same way? Do you think those Bible studies were overly serious any longer now that Pete's in the room? Not a chance. We're laughing the whole way through this thing. People are passing gas. They're, they're fighting and flinging things at, e- at each other. Like This is just like a wild college dorm room party because Pete's involved following Jesus. And people got a full picture of who Jesus was. They needed the part that I brought. But it didn't make sense to them who Jesus was till B- Pete brought his part along the way. That's when friends started finding and following Jesus as well. I remember one of those college boys really struggled with depression. And I tried talking to him, but I just couldn't figure out how to relate. I think I was actually making his depression worse, talking to him. Like, I felt awful. Then along comes Pete. He wasn't depressed, but he had some struggles with anxiety and occasional panic attack and things like that and so like it was just enough of a parallel where he could speak to this guy in a different way and the two of us together in that friend's life that's why that friend got to believe and and follow jesus i had another friend who was a foreign exchange student uh new new to the country and new to jesus because of it and enjoyed the spiritual conversations up to a point and then it was like she was like why on earth would i ever want to follow jesus when all he does is make people argue she had a friend from one tradition and another friend from another. And when they got together, they, they just kind of got at it. And I had never had any answer for that. Because I was looking at it like, I wouldn't want to be a part of Jesus either, if that's, that's, if that's what I see. But Pete had a different way of talking about it. Like, just because of the brokenness and the fallenness of our humanity is still sticking to us, doesn't mean that people aren't in the process and their God isn't loving. Didn't take it far enough for that woman to believe but it did take it far enough, or at least that obstacle is not what's going to keep me from believing any longer. And I couldn't have done that, I wasn't doing that, without Pete. And that's my picture. That's my picture of what Jesus is praying for you and I in John 17. Right? Or, or what Paul was talking about in Corinthians and uh, 1 Corinthians and Romans chapter 12, that when we come together as one, then people get to see Jesus as a whole. When we go out there individually, they're only going to see our God, our Jesus, in part. But, but that's not all. Like at the end of the day, I don't think that the most important picture of, of what the church is, is, is the reflection to the world around us. Like, like that they get to see who Jesus is through us. For me, the most important part of becoming a church with that church in Platteville and picking up friends like Pete along the way. And there, I could tell stories about other people. I'm just like focusing in on one today. It, the important thing is I had a church. Someone was there for me, and I was there for someone else. Uh, here, here's how it, it worked out. Like, uh, Pete and I, we'd have our futon talks late into the night. 
Like, like, like when the Madden football game finally got turned off, we got to talking at a heart level on, on many things. Things were like, I needed a Savior to show up and change my life. And he would talk about his need for a Savior on the same terms. It was normal and natural for Pete and I to just break into prayer. You can't keep talking about God things at that level and your need for salvation that many times without saying, let's just stop and talk to him. Sometimes the conversation would keep going. We're like, people would just take the second bunk in my bunk room that, that night because that's where we were going to hang out. And he'd just fall asleep there. There were times when, like, I mean, these conversations weren't like private conversations. They'd happen around whoever we were around. And I remember like one point, like one day, like I was talking about, hey, Pete, remember when Jesus did this? And he's like, oh, yeah. And remember when Jesus that? And we got our big smiles on our face. And there's like a third friend around us who says, time out. Y'all talking about Jesus right now, like you were just hanging out with him this week. And I thought, yeah. You know, that's kind of like what it's become. Because I got a guy like Pete in my everyday relationships. I'm now connecting with Jesus in my everyday life. Like, like, Like I can actually touch Jesus now. And I can see Jesus walking with me now. And I can hear Jesus audibly now through... Friends like Pete. And maybe that's a little where that napkin vision came from Melissa and I eight years ago when this church was starting. Why we said if we're starting a church, it's got to be everyday life. It's got to be everyday relationships. That's what a church has got to be to connect someone to Jesus. Goes back to a church in Platteville and a handful of friends like a guy named Pete. That's what a church is. That's what this church is for you. Yes, it reflects the light of Jesus to the world around us who desperately needs to see him. But also make sure that you see Jesus and you hear Jesus and can feel him in a physical way in your everyday life relationships. The church is for you. But what on earth does any of that have to do with our 40-week journey? Absolutely everything. Because wherever we're going, you got to know, we're, we're, you're, you're not going at it alone. There is so much more that Jesus wants to grow into your life as, as his disciple. But we're not going to get you there with, without a church around you. And there's so much more that God wants to do as a disciple maker so that other people see Jesus through you. But it's not going to work alone. You, you need a church around you. So let, let me give you a handful of my tips, a handful of pro tips to make your church your many. Uh, make sure that this is a place that's truly there for you, a place where you know others, a place where you get known by others, a place where the things of Jesus really jump and bubble up in your life because of what these relationships are, okay? I'm going to ask you to take some notes. I don't actually often do this here at Lake Point Church. You know, you kind of gather what you can, but if you got a phone or a piece of paper on you, I'm going to hit more things today that are going to be usable for so darn long I don't want you to miss them, okay? So try to make a note if you can. First area in which we can practice church is obviously here on Sundays. Okay? And I'm going to give you two questions that you could ask anyone, any Sunday morning, that gets the ball rolling in being these, this kind of church with these kinds of relationships. Number one, hi, I haven't met you before. Do you know how much that question starts? You've got to appreciate that we are not at a mall. 
We are not at a concert. You are not passing by strangers here today, gone tomorrow. The idea is that the person here today is probably coming next week, or at least trying to figure out whether or not they want to come back next week. There's going to be some repetition. There's going to be some repeat. And so to have someone acknowledge you of, hey, we're kind of in this together, and I haven't met you yet. doesn't have to be people who are brand new here. It could be someone that you've met before, and honestly, you don't remember their name. Spoiler, they don't remember your name either, okay? None of us are good at names. So you just take a shot at saying, hey, I'm not sure I've met you before. It's that basic level of extending care and interest in another person. Number two, that's interesting. Tell me more about your blank. And you fill in the blank with something they said. Something they said this week, something they said last week, something they said last month when you first met them, so on and so forth. It doesn't matter. Here's the trick with that question, though. You actually got to be interested, okay? Like, and that's the point, is to take enough interest in someone's life to want to know more about them. What's their story? What makes them work? What, what's God doing with them? That extends care to another person. Then their heart moves to another place of like, man, I kind of care about you too. Tell me more about your story. And you see how the ball gets rolling? These are two questions. Like, if I could... Please let me ask this of you as a pastor. Tuck these two questions in your back pocket. Make it your mission to come into Lake Point Church every single Sunday that God gives you here saying, I'm going to ask these two questions somewhere every time I walk through our doors. It would radically change the culture here. At some point, we don't even need people with name tags saying, hi, thanks for coming, because all of us are just that kind of welcoming environment where it just happens on its own. i got to keep moving. Uh, number, the second area we could talk about being church is as a missional community. Okay? And here's my little tip that I give you in this regard, is to do the things outside of the regular schedule that you would have someone do to you. And if you're not in a missional, Rudy, a missional community yet, that's what we're talking about. On Wednesday nights, Rooted, you can still jump in. Just go to our events page and, and hop in here. But here's, here's kind of the idea is, uh, we, we value the extras. Like if you said something real in missional community, you would want someone to pray for you during the week and remember that. So you be sure to pray for someone else when they share something real. If you had a real prayer that God put on your heart, you'd want someone to text you and say, hey, I, 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 I prayed this for you today. So you send that text to someone else. It's nice when someone looks you up and says, hey, I just want to hang out some more, talk some more, laugh some more. You want to do blank? If that's what you'd want someone to do to you, you, you go off and extend that invitation uh, to, to them. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to share this in first service. We were doing baby dedications and we are a little tight on time. I'm going to take two extra minutes to tell you this because this is like my picture of how it comes together, right? It's like two weeks into COVID-19. Like, the bomb's gone off. We have no idea what this is or how we're going to regroup together. Like, life is... Remember that two weeks in? Um, I'm, on a, I'm, I'm driving from here to there through a neighborhood, and I, I see two women from our missional community walking together. And in their hand is a, is, is a coffee mug. Both of them got two beverages in their hand. One's a giant coffee, and the other one's a giant Coors Light. 
Now, don't judge right now. This is 10 a.m. in the morning. Can't tell me two weeks into COVID-19 that you were confused between is this a coffee, coffee or a Coors Light moment right now. But the two of them together, <laughs> walking with their beverages through a neighborhood, trying to figure out what on earth is a pandemic and what happens to my life. We're all socially distanced. We're all stay at home. But I'm still going to walk with that friend and our confused beverage selection. That's my picture of what a mission community is right there. Number three, friends. Any friend, wherever you picked them up along the way, as long as it's a friend in Jesus. Start using this question more often. Tell me something real Jesus is doing with you. Give me something real. Uh, we, 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 talk, we catch up on the kids. We catch up on weather. We catch up on sports and work and stuff like that. Can we make sure that we throw out a real spiritual conversation? One with a really open end that makes people like you and I ask, yeah, what, what is the work of God in my life and how would I open it to another person? Wherever you find yourself with spiritual friends, ask, ask that. Number four, serving's one of those environments where we can be the church to each other. I encourage you to be the answer to something that bothers you. Okay, so I'm going to pick on missional communities a, a little bit more. Like, if your missional community bothers you, like if you show up there and you're like, Man, I wish this thing was a little more organized. I wish those emails came out a little sooner. Um, I, I, I wish we prayed more as a missional community. I wish we served our local community a little bit more. I wish we found a way to involve our, our kids more. Well, here, I'm, I'm going to explain this to you, okay? If you keep noticing something that bothers you, something that's not getting done, to put this all together with the one body, many parts, if there's no other part that's playing it and you keep noticing that someone needs to play it, what do you think God might be stirring up in you? Maybe you're the one to play that part and make that change in the missional community. And that's supposed to expand to the church as a whole. You know, put, all, put all preferences and particulars aside. If you're noticing the lake point needs to be more outgoing about this or more deep about that or more creative in this regard or more welcoming when we're around this and it just bothers you, bothers you, bothers you. What's wrong with this church? What's wrong with this church? Put the report card away and, and get out your towel. Jesus said, I'm among you as one who serves and sometimes like if you just keep noticing dirty feet around you it's your job to grab a towel around your waist and a dirty foot in your hand and you wash till someone's clean you serve that's Jesus' picture number five fifth way where we can uh, be this serving again uh, some things are good enough you just got to repeat them twice from this angle though invite your one to join your many in doing good. This is, uh, this is kind of where the common ground uh, comes together. Matt had you reflect at length last week on who is your one person. You know, on, on this journey together, we, we hope and we pray that, that all sorts of people are affected and, and, and blessed by, by Jesus in your life. But at the end of the day, if it's just for one person, it, it would be worth it. And so it helps to sit back, think about who that one person is, pray it out with Jesus. Your one friend might not be ready for your Sunday church. But I can almost guarantee you that your friend is ready for an invite to your serving church. 
that if a handful of you said, I'm going to go out into the world and make this difference and fix this thing, they'd say, yeah, I'd join you for that. And they get to see your church in motion through it. That's, that's what Muskego Serves is all about. Okay, can't, can't be announced it. Let me clarify. Very important here. Here's what Muskego Serves is not. Muskego Serves is not a bunch of church people signing up to donate a bunch of volunteer hours to do a bunch of projects organized by a bunch of prep pastors. That is not what's going to take place here. Okay? It's someone like you noticing a problem in this world that needs to be fixed or a place where more good from Jesus needs to get done and say, I care enough, I'm going to do something about it. I'm also smart enough, I'm not going to go at it alone. I'm going to surround myself with my many, my church, friends from here, whether it's my missional community or just a sign-up card or whatever. I'm going at this together. And along that way, all of us are going to invite a friend to come along. Maybe they're ready for church on a Sunday morning or not. But your friend will say yes to doing something good in the world. And along that way, that's how they get to meet your Pete. Okay? This is talking from the guy whose friends couldn't understand Jesus until his Pete came along. I just want to ask you, who's, who's the Polish Pete in your life? right now. That, that person, like, when you are around them, you just love being around them and the things of Jesus just bubble up in your life fuller because that person's in your life. And you would desperately want your friend who's a non-church friend and might not know Jesus yet, you would desperately love for them to meet your Pete as well. That's why serving is such a neat thing. They want to see Jesus in motion and the church is in motion when you and Pete are out there doing something good come along with you. I guess what I'm saying today is this. In the 40-week journey here to being a disciple who can reach and make a disciple, your friend needs your Pete to be in your life. It can't be all on you. You're not going to make it on your own. They're not going to see Jesus well enough in a well-rounded way, you representing him on your own. Your friend needs your Pete to be there too. But secondly, what I'm also saying is you need your Pete for yourself. You need your church. You need your many. You need people that you can talk late with. You need someone with whom the conversations about God just flow naturally. You need someone to be the church to you and you in turn to them. If you don't know where to start, that's why we keep talking about missional communities and rooted That's where we can help you start it if you really don't know where to begin. But then step two from there is that's what Muskego Services is all about. Getting you and your pizza out there, getting the body of Christ moving in a way that your one, your friend who does not know Jesus yet can start seeing and feeling what it's like and to meet your many along the way. I'm going to ask you to stand now. I'm going to close this service off. got uh, one scripture I want to share with you and, and one more song as well. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to ask you to read it with me. A little bit of response I'm reading this morning. Can we do this? Tell me you're ready. All right, here we go. Please read along. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Amen.